enjoyed the singing this week, enjoyed all this time we've got to spend with each other, looking forward to you, to studying with you uh, God's Word together this morning. This week we've been talking about Old Testament characters or people in the Old Testament who teach us New Testament Christian principles, and we're actually going to switch gears this morning and talk about something a little different. I haven't talked this week a whole lot in great detail about the gospel of Christ. And I think it's so important that we talk about this and we consider our soul and our salvation. And I encourage you all as we study these things to do that. Think about where your standing is with God and consider whether or not you've been saved by Christ or through the blood of Christ. And if you have, be thankful for all the things that God has done for you. Let's start by reading 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-10. through 10. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His Son, only begotten Son, into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You ever hear of anybody who says that God hasn't done anything for them, or that God doesn't care about them, or God's abandoned them. Sometimes you'll hear people say that. Usually that happens whenever they go through a difficult time in life, and they're struggling, and, and there's pain, and there's sorrow in their life, and they say, well, where's God when I'm struggling, and when I'm in pain, and when I'm afraid? God doesn't care about me. God's abandoned me. And part of the problem there is they have a very um, temporal perspective not realizing, understanding how great God is and all the things He does and the importance of eternity as opposed to the things of this world. But people get that feeling sometimes. Maybe you've even said that. But this passage teaches us that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done in our life, no matter what we may have suffered, what we may have been prospered in, God has done amazing things for each and every one of us. God has loved each and every one of us and sending His Son to come into the world to live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins. And I want you to think about that, and I want you to consider that, and I want you to realize that God loves you, and God cares for you. And I want to talk to you about three blessings and opportunities that God has given you this morning, each and every one of us. And we talked on Thursday about the fact that with great blessings that God gives us comes great responsibility. And so we all have a responsibility to respond to the blessings that God offers us, to the opportunity that God offers us, to be reconciled to Him, to be saved through the shed blood of Christ, to become a child of God and have our sins forgiven. Each and every one of us has a responsibility to respond to that. And if you haven't done that this morning, I implore you to deeply consider your soul. And consider your standing before God. What's going to happen if you were to pass away or the Lord were to return? Is your soul right with God? And it can be. And God has allowed you to let that happen. We're going to talk about this. Let's talk about the fact that God gave His Son to die on the cross, giving you the opportunity to have your sins washed away and have the hope of a home in heaven. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He left heaven the throne of heaven itself, to come and live on this earth and suffer in pain and sorrow, be surrounded by sin, though He Himself was perfect, He Himself was sinless, and He went to the cross 
and died for us. He showed us amazing love and being willing to sacrifice Himself for us. Greater love has no man than this, He says, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus laid down His life for us. You cannot say that God hasn't done anything for you. What an amazing thing that God has done for each and every one of us. I want you to think about and consider the crucifixion of Jesus for just a few moments. We're going to talk about that. Matthew chapter 27, verses 19 through 31. It's not going to be on the board, but you can read along with me in your Bibles if you'd like to. Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start in verse 19. And we're picking up in the story where Pilate is considering Jesus and what, what he's going to do with him and what he thinks he's going to do with him. And Pilate's wife comes to him. And starting in verse 19, it says, While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather the tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate here bowed to the will of the crowd and allowed Jesus to be scourged and crucified. What does it mean that he was scourged? It means that they took a, a big leather whip, and a lot of times it had sharp objects on the end of it, and they would take a person, and they would beat the person again and again and again with the whip. And so flesh was ripped from the body. And they would do that to, to weaken a person, to get them prepared to be crucified. And it says that he was crucified. They took a cross, they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, and they placed him in the ground. Going on, let's read what else they did to him. Let's read verses 28, 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a robe on him, mocking him, Bat spitting upon him, beating him on the head with that rod. And I'm sure that that just caused the blood to come and flow from the, the crown of thorns on his head. And they put him on the cross. Death by crucifixion is an awful, awful death. The word excruciating comes from the idea of the cross, out of the cross, excruciating. They would lift them up and their body would weaken and eventually over time it would start to give out, and they wouldn't have the strength to be able to lift themselves up to breathe. A lot of experts believe this is the way they died, just very slowly losing strength to be able to exhale the breaths that they took in, so that very, very slowly they suffocated. In a horrible, awful way to die. Jesus did that for you. You cannot say that God has not done anything for you. 
Can you? I can't say that. I believe even greater and more than the physical suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. Remember, one of the things he said on the cross was, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The special relationship and communion that he had with his father all his life had been severed on the cross. Because God cannot stand to have sin in his presence. Sin separates us from God. Jesus had our sins upon him. Not, Not his sins because he had none. But the Bible says that he took our sins on his body on the cross and it was nailed to the cross. And therefore God had to turn away from Jesus. And he lost that that special relationship with the Father. I believe that was probably a much greater suffering than even the excruciating, horrible pain of the cross. Jesus did that for you and he did that for me. And he, he gave his life freely, shed his blood so that we could be saved. Jesus was buried. He stayed in the tomb for three days. And then he was resurrected. The Bible talks about this in verse 1 through 6 of Matthew chapter 28. It says, starting in verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So Jesus conquered the grave. He overcame death. He was resurrected, winning the victory over death and giving us the hope of our own resurrection. But by sacrificing Himself on the cross, God showed us amazing love. Christ showed amazing love. God sent His Son showing us amazing love as as well. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the world, each and every one of us, enough to send His Son to die for us so that we could have the hope of eternal life. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God showed such amazing and great love toward us that He did this while we were His enemies and while we were still sinners. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies of God through our sins and separated from Him, and yet He still loved us. Aren't you thankful for that? Isn't that an amazing blessing? What a wonderful thing. Have you taken advantage of that? Have you freely accepted the free gift that God offers you in dying for your sins while you were still an enemy of God? Billions upon billions of people were enemies of God, and yet God loved each and every one of us, didn't He? What amazing love God has shown us in sending His Son to die on the cross and giving us the hope of a home in heaven. But why did He need to do that? Why did He have to to die on the cross? Why did He have to shed His blood? The answer, of course, is because we've all sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us have lived a perfect life. None of us have been sinless. If we're 
able to be accountable for our actions, we realize that we've sinned and that we've fallen short of the glory of God. Things that God has told us to do and taught us to do, the way to live our life, things we should and shouldn't do, we violated those, haven't we? And even one sin is enough to separate us from a righteous God who cannot stand to have sin in His presence. And therefore, we all, each and every one of us, deserve the eternal punishment of hell. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so each and every one of us needs forgiveness and salvation from our sins. Because sin separates us from God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a barrier between us and God when we sin. But God be thanked that we can be reconciled to God through the cross and have our sins taken away because of Jesus' sacrifice. What amazing love He has shown us in giving us the opportunity to have salvation for our sins. You see, Jesus' life was perfect and sinless, and yours wasn't, and mine wasn't. And His life is a substitution for our life. And His death on the cross is a substitution for the death that each and every one of us deserve spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. And Jesus, though, paid the price for our sins, giving us that hope of forgiveness and reconciliation. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He paid the price for you, and He paid the price for me. The writer of Hebrews describes it much better in a way than I could ever describe it. He says, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and of calves, but of His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to, for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from, from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. See the blood of bulls, and goats and calves, they could not perfectly and totally and completely and forever take away sin. They offered them as an atonement for sin under the Old Covenant, but it wasn't that perfect sacrifice that totally cleanses us from sin like Jesus' blood does once and for all. And Jesus died shedding His blood and cleansing us and giving us the opportunity for forgiveness. Interestingly, whenever the bulls and goats... Uh, were sacrificed, they were killed first, and then their blood was shed and, and used. Very similar thing happened whenever Jesus died. Jesus gave up the ghost, and then what happened afterwards? The soldier pierced his side, and blood and water came forth. The blood he shed in death saves us from our sins and gives us the hope of reconciliation. It pays the price for our sins and gives us the chance to be forgiven and to be reconciled to God. What a great blessing. What a great thing that God has done for you. Have you taken advantage of that? Have you given yourself to God? 
Have you done the things that the Bible teaches are necessary to receive this forgiveness? If you haven't, you need to. I encourage you to strongly consider and think about your soul and think about whether or not you've given yourself to God and received the blessing that He's given us and giving you the opportunity to be saved from your sins. But not only that, but God has also given us a clear plan to follow in His Word. I want you to imagine that you're lost in the woods somewhere and you don't have a compass, you don't have a map, you don't have any way of knowing where you're going. You're running low on supplies and you're stuck out in the woods for several days and you're starting to become afraid that you're not going to be able to get out of this situation. And you wander around and finally you see a path that leads to a road that leads to civilization and, and you find a, people and you're able to receive everything you need. You are lost and now you're found, you're saved. What a wonderful God that we have that does not leave us out on our own to try to find our own way to receive salvation, but He's given us a clear and straightforward path to follow in His Word, showing us how we obtain the forgiveness of our sins. We think about, we talked about the glory of God and how holy He is and how wonderful and powerful and big He is. And He's got so many stars and worlds in the entire universe that we can't even imagine all in His hand. And yet, He cares enough about you and He cares enough about me to tell us exactly what we need to do to receive salvation and be with Him forever in heaven. He's given us a clear plan to follow. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who cares for us? What a wonderful blessing we have. The Bible tells us very clearly the things that we must do in order to receive salvation. It's not something that we earn. We cannot earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. But God freely offers us the gift of the forgiveness of sins if we'll accept it, if we'll follow the things that the Bible tells us we must do to receive it. The Bible tells us we must obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 8 says, And to give you your troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So He clearly says that in order to avoid the vengeance, in order to avoid the punishment, we must obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk in just a moment about what it means to obey the gospel, but we know that there's something we must do in order to receive that forgiveness. It's not something that happens automatically, and it's not something we do to earn it, but it's something we have to do in order to receive that free gift. But what is the gospel? The Bible tells us very clearly what that is. The word gospel simply means good news or good message. But he tells us specifically what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures." So he says, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. That's the gospel that I declared, the gospel that you believed, and the gospel by which you're saved. And here it is. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The good news of Jesus' death for us on the cross, the forgiveness of sins that it offers, His burial, 
in His resurrection. The Bible tells us we must obey that gospel, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the Bible gives us clear steps to follow. Once we've heard this gospel message, and once we know that we can be saved through Christ, what do we need to do to retain that? What, what did the Bible say about it? We read this verse earlier, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, He says very clearly, if we want to not perish, if we want to have everlasting life, we must believe in Christ. We must put our faith and trust in Him, that He is who He says He was, is, and that He did what He said that He did that He can save us from our sins, that He is the Son of God. We must fully commit our trust and belief in that. But is that all we have to do to be saved? You know, that's what sometimes people teach, that all we have to do is have faith. But what about this next scripture? Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. What does this verse say we have to do in order to be saved? It says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Repent means that we change our heart and mind. We think differently. We think afterwards. We change the way that we think about God. We change the way we think about sin and ourselves. And we make God the Lord of our life and we no longer serve ourselves. We no longer serve sin. We serve our Father. We repent. And that change of heart leads to a change in the way that we live our life, a change in our actions. But he says that we repent that our sins may be blotted out. And we have two scriptures here. One says, in order to have eternal life and not perish, we must believe in Jesus. This other scripture here says, in order to have our sins blotted out, we must repent and be converted. So which one is it? Do we believe or do we repent in order to be saved? Well, the truth is that these two scriptures don't contradict one another, but they complement one another. They're both necessary in order for us to be saved. We must both believe and repent in order to be saved, in order to have forgiveness. But that's not all. The Bible tells us also that we must confess. Romans chapter 10, verse 10 says, For the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If we want to be saved, we must confess. And he actually mentions two of the steps here, both belief and confession in this passage. We confess our belief in Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he told someone with his mouth about his belief in Christ. We must do that because the Bible teaches us with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. But is that it? Is that all that we must do? The Bible also tells us that we must be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent! That's another one of the steps. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us clearly and straightforward that in order to have our sins forgiven, in order to have them remitted, we must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of things the religious world teaches about baptism, and what it does and what it means. You know, some say that it's an outward demonstration of what has already taken place in our heart. They'll say that baptism isn't necessary for salvation. It's something that occurs after we're saved. But what does the Bible say? Remember, God doesn't want us to have to be confused about this to make it very complicated and difficult. He gives us a clear plan to follow in His Word. He says we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. 
It is at the point that we are baptized that our sins are remitted, that we are forgiven. So therefore, baptism is not something that takes place after we're saved, according to the Bible. Baptism should be done as the final step in order to have our sins washed away. That's what the Bible tells us in, in the book of Acts. And I said to Paul, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In order to have your sins washed away, you must be baptized for the remission of sins in the name of Christ. The Bible tells us that we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16 that whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Over and over again, we see the baptism is essential for our salvation. And when we do so, we obey a form or pattern of the gospel, which we talked about earlier. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7 says, And do you not know that as many of us were baptized, he's talking about, about uh, baptism here, where we're baptized in water into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. What does he say? We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. That's when we come into contact spiritually with the benefit of the death of Christ. We're buried with him in baptism. We rise to walk in newness of life, no longer slaves to sin because we've been made free from them. We become a new creature in the sight of God, cleansed and forgiven. Skip down to verse 17. It says, But God, be thanked that you were slaves of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You were slaves of sin, but now you're cleansed. How? By obeying that form of doctrine. What is that doctrine? The, the doctrine he talks here, the first part, is his death his burial, and his resurrection. So we obey the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection. We obey a former pattern of that when we're baptized. We die our old man to sin. We're buried in the watery grave of baptism. We rise to walk in newness of life like Christ was di died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and was resurrected. We obey a former pattern of that gospel in baptism. And that's the point at which our sins are washed away. And we can have a hope of home in heaven if we remain faithful to God. Very clear, very straightforward. Once we've heard the gospel message, we must believe, repent, confess, and be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Have you done that according to what the Bible says? Have you followed that clear path and taken those steps which we know are necessary to become a child of God and have our sins washed away? If not, why not take advantage of that opportunity and that blessing? You see, the last thing that we want to talk about this morning is that God has given you the opportunity right now, today, to accept that salvation. The Bible teaches us that God is long-suffering. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants each and every one of us to be saved, each and every one of us to come to Him and be forgiven. And He's done so much to let you do that. He's given His Son to die for your sins. He's given you the plan to follow, to accept it. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2 says, For He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, 
In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We live in a time and a day and age where today we can be saved because of Christ's sacrifice. We can have that forgiveness. Have you taken advantage of that? You know, sometimes when you're doing something that you really enjoy, time seems to pass really, really quickly. I have some things I like, you know, I watch television sometimes, I play video games, and some things I'm not as big a fan of. <laughs> you know, I talked about gardening the other day. I don't like getting down on my knees necessarily and pulling out all those weeds. And I can do that, and time seems to drag on forever. But when I'm playing a video game, it goes really fast. Sometimes that's the way our life can be, isn't it? We go through life, and we get caught up in the things of this world and the cares of this life. And time goes so fast, and then we reach the end of life, and we realize that we haven't taken care of the most important things. I mean, it could happen to any one of us, any time, at any age, our life may end. Young or old, there's so many examples of people who have lost their life, or the Lord may return. Have you taken advantage of the blessings God has given you? Have you done the most important thing, the number one priority that you need to have in your life? Not money or, or security or things in this world, but the security of your soul. Tuesday was the longest day of the year. And the summer solstice. And out here, you guys are on the, the very edge of the time zone. You all have long days and you all have late sunsets. You know, it's after 9 p.m. before the sun officially sets a lot of times. Tuesday was the longest day and the shortest night. But what happened on Wednesday? The day got just a little bit shorter. And the night got a little bit longer. And the same thing on Thursday. And the same thing on Friday. And the same thing on Saturday. And it's going to keep on doing that until sometime in December we reach the winter solstice. And that will be the longest night and the shortest day. And the day after that, the day will get a little bit longer. The night will get a little bit shorter. Just like a pendulum on a clock, it'll swing back and forth, back and forth, showing us the passing of time. The days of our lives, the grain of sand through the hourglass goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But one day, it's going to stop. It'll end. The pendulum We'll stop, and it'll be the last solstice, the last time of our life. What if that day's today? What if that day's now? What if that day's very soon? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Is your soul ready to meet God? We don't know when it's going to happen. And our life will end, and we'll have to face the judgment. Are you prepared for it? Are you ready? Has your soul been washed in the blood of Christ? He's offered you such a great blessing, such a great opportunity. And He does that because He loves you and He cares for you. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. He's given you the time of your life until now, the opportunity to accept it. Don't spurn that opportunity. Don't push it off to the future. If you know that you need to do that, you know that you that are in your sins, you've seen the clear steps to follow, to become a child of God, you've heard that gospel message, you're willing to believe in Christ, put your faith in Him, repent, turn your live your life after Him, following God instead of sin, instead of yourself. If you're willing to confess your belief in Him, you're willing to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you can have that security, and you can have that hope.
If you haven't taken advantage of that, why not now? Why not today? Become a child of God. Have your sins washed away. Take advantage of the great blessing God has offered you. We're going to offer an invitation in just a moment. If you want to become a child of God today, we can take care of that today. We're going to ask you to have a seat in the front row, and someone's going to help you. You don't even have to do it during church. Maybe afterwards you can talk to somebody and we can take care of that. But make sure we take care of that. Let's do the number one priority in our life. Let's make sure that we're prepared and ready because we don't know when that pendulum's going to stop. And today may be the last day for you, but God is gracious to us in giving you that opportunity right now, today, to become a child of God. Won't you accept it? Come forward if you wish to as we sing the song that's been selected.